You're listening to the Life in Christ Church podcast, your place for life-changing messages that will build your faith and propel your life. If you enjoyed today's message, why don't you be a blessing and share it with a friend? Praise God. I said, praise God. Say it with me. We serve a miracle-working God. Thank you, brother. We serve a miracle-working God. He does what nobody else can do. Amen? I said, he does what nobody else can do. That's right. There's nobody like our God. I love to say that. There's nobody like our God. You know, he's the only true and living God. (laughs) There are no other gods. There's just ours. Everything else is false, created by men. Amen. That's not a politically correct message, but scripturally correct. (laughs) There are no other gods. Can you imagine being a Hindu? You have to keep up with pleasing over 10,000 gods if you're Hindu. I mean, that's that's work right there. What do 10,000 gods want me to do with my life? It's hard enough for most people to figure out what God wants them to do for their life, let alone 10,000 gods. Yeah. You know what's amazing? You can go to Mecca, let them roll out the bones of Muhammad in glass case. You can cry. You can go on a pilgrimage. But Muhammad's dead. He's never coming back. Allah is not God. There's only one God, and he has a specific name. That's why when you go to do any kind of a, an event, even if you do a political event, Many times they don't want you to be too specific. Now there's some that will let you do it. But it's better to just say God for them because that really encompasses everything and everyone. Because you can interpret God however you want to interpret God. See, because God's not a name, it's a station. God's not a name. Every religion has a God, but God's not his name. He has a specific name. His name is Jehovah. Hallelujah. And his son's name is Jesus. And that right there is the name that's above every other name. Hallelujah. It's above every other name. When you speak that name, every knee has to bow. Every tongue has to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Say amen to that. I want you to get this in your spirit. Something hit me today. And and I put it down in my notes. And I put, they said, what do you want tonight's title to be for the live stream? I said, put this down because this was in my spirit. If you're taking notes, write it down. One thing God doesn't have that he needs. One thing God doesn't have that he needs. I was on my, uh, looking at the advertisement we'd put out for this meeting on Facebook. You know, on Facebook, you can still get some people that'll cuss at you. You can't really get that in most places anymore. You know, you can't get that on Instagram, really, and can't really find it on, uh, most social media networks have so refined their algorithm that they only show your stuff to the people that want to see it. And when you do some advertising on Facebook, you can still get out there among some people that want to cuss you out a little bit. And I like that. I like being able to be. I mean that. I do like, because it lets you know you're reaching people that are unreached. And I don't want to just send the same message to the same people that believe it already. I want some people that don't know or don't believe it, never heard it. I want them to hear it. And so I don't mind getting cussed at a little bit and having the middle finger emoji thrown up at me on the comment section and that does happen often hallelujah makes me happy glory to god so you get happy seeing the middle finger i do now i do now didn't used to but i do now 
Yeah, because it lets you know that you're touching people that are not yet changed by God's power. And uh, we were telling people to come to these meetings expecting God to touch them and to change them and to do a miracle in their life. And it made me laugh. There was a comment in the comment section that said this. I'll read it verbatim. Only Jesus can perform miracles. He will not use a person to do it for him. That was the comment. That's the exact voice with which I read the comment. That's what she sounds like. If you met her in real life, that's exactly her voice. And um, I said, really? I said, it's interesting. She said, and uh, by the way, the only true Bible is the King James Version Bible. Listen, if it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it was good enough for her. That's a joke because the King James didn't come out until 1611, okay? A little church history joke there for you that nobody got, but that's all right. Amen. Praise God. Paul did love the King James. It's wonderful. It's what Jesus used. I said, turn your King James Bible to Acts chapter 3 and see that Jesus was already gone from the earth. He was already seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for the church. But there were two men named Peter and John who were headed up to the temple at the third hour, the ninth hour of the day, that's three o'clock in the afternoon, and they met a man by the gate who was paralyzed, and he was sitting there begging for alms. I love this. I always share this with people. Dr. Bill Winston said he was looking for alms, and he got legs. Amen. And he was, he was sitting there at the gate. I love that. He was sitting there at the gate begging for alms. And, and, and Peter and John, what'd they say? Look on us. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Jesus wasn't there. Jesus was in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. Here's two men who were anointed by the power of the Holy Ghost. They were obeying the instruction of Jesus to heal the sick, cast out devils, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Those that believe and are baptized will be saved, and those that don't believe will be damned. Not only is Jesus not the only one to perform miracles, he expects every one of us to live the kind of life where we can minister to others through the power of the gospel. Can you say amen? In fact, Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 14 and verse number 12, the works that I do, you will do also. And greater works than these will you do because I'm going to be with my Father in heaven. You know what he was saying? If you're reading verse, chapters 14, 15, and 16, he's teaching on the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, I'm going to be with my Father but I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you another comforter. And when he comes, he'll be with you forever. And he'll lead you and guide you into all truth. Hallelujah. In fact, the word in the Greek language is parakletos. It's the word that means to come alongside to help. Someone who's your helper. He's your advocate. He's the, the transliteration, the paraclete. He's the one that assists you. He helps you. He comforts you. He strengthens you. See, that's why we understand God doesn't go do the work for us 
and we don't go do the work for him. He works with us. He works through us. That means when you go, he goes with you. Hallelujah. That when you pray, he's praying through you. That when you lay your hands, the nail-scarred hand of Jesus is underneath your hand by the power of the Holy Ghost. I want you to say this with me tonight. My life is important. Say it again. My life is essential in the kingdom of God. One of the biggest lies you could ever believe as a Christian is that your life is insignificant, is that you personally are not that important. The devil will tell you that. He'll have you to believe that your actions don't matter and whether or not you obey God, it's not that big of a deal. But let me tell you, there are people literally whose lives are hanging in the balance whether or not they'll go to heaven or hell based upon what you do with your life, whether or not you obey God's plan for your life or not. I remember preaching in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee one time, and it was a youth conference, a youth camp, and all these churches came together to be a part of this camp. And I was preaching one afternoon, and I had made up my mind to lay hands on everybody that was in that room. And I was just going to minister to those young people. And I had done that. I prayed for everybody. And when I was getting ready to walk up the stairs to close the service in prayer, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, you're not done yet. And I thought, well, Lord, I've prayed for every single person. I'm Pentecostal. I prayed for even the adults that were leaders. I, I saw a church mouse that ran out. I prayed for it and laid hands on it. It ran back, took the cheese off the trap. The trap didn't even go off. It was favor on the mouse. He got the cheese. Had a harvest and everything. I prayed for everybody and everything that moved. I laid hands. God said, you're not done yet. He said, there's a young man on the front row. Now, my back's to the crowd at this point. I'm walking up. He said, there's a young man on the front row corner side, right up in the front. He said, go down there and cast the spirit of depression and suicide off of him. Now, when I was getting ready to turn around, I expected to see a young man who was bowed over and maybe dressed in all black, gothic looking and, you know, black fingernails and, you know, uh, that's what I'm expecting, you know, a Hot Topic model. I'm looking for that when I, I think that's what a person that looks like that looks like. And I turn around and here's this dude sitting here. He looks like the most popular kid in school. He looked like a, you know, looked like the high school quarterback, real preppy dressed and, you know, muscular and tall. And, you know, he wasn't looking depressed. He's just kind of looking around. But I had to obey the Lord because you don't go by what you see on the outside because there's a, there's a Bible verse that says, there are those who laugh, but their laughter conceals a heavy heart. Not everybody that's laughing's happy. Not everybody that's smiling's got joy on the inside. So instead of going by what it looked like on the outside, I just obeyed the Holy Spirit. I went down, stood right in front of him, said, lift your hands. And he did. And I laid my hand on him, and I began, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over this spirit of heaviness, depression, suicidal thoughts. I command you to go right now. It looked like it was just a normal prayer. And then all of a sudden, his knees started shaking like this. And then it kind of went up through his whole body. And he's, he's like under my hand shaking like that. And then he starts to give me a, it was like if you've ever made tea with a kettle, it starts with a real low whistle and then goes high. When you boils, that's what he did too. He's like, like he, he just started screaming. 
I'm laying hands on power, and he jumped out from under my hand and took off running back and forth across the front. Just, I mean, I used to say dancing. He really wasn't dancing. He was gyrating, just throwing limbs in every direction. And he was just looked like a hornet, had, like a whole nest of hornets had hit him, and he was trying to get free from the horn. That's what it looked like to me. Yellow jackets. I mean, he was just, but he was getting touched by the Holy Ghost. God set him free. God set him free. I told the associate pastor, I said, I know that he's not doing that in his flesh. That's the Holy Ghost because there's two rows of pretty high school girls sitting right there. That you, there ain't no man in the world doing that single in front of all those potential girlfriends. I said, that's the Holy Ghost. He's like, my God, that's good, Brother Ted. Yes. <laughs> Write it down. I'm giving you pearls. And so he got free, and then he told me his testimony at the end. Here's what I want to get across to you. His testimony shook me because he said, I don't even go to any of these churches. He said, I'm not a church-going guy. He said, but I was at home sitting on my dad's bed. My parents were out of town. I'd found my dad's handgun, and I was so depressed. I had racked one into the chamber, and I had the barrel against my temple. And he said, I was getting ready to pull the trigger, and my cell phone buzzed. And he said, I put the gun down, looked at it. It was my buddy from this church right here. And he said he had sent me a text that said, do you want to go to youth camp with me? And he said, I sat there and thought about it for a minute. And I thought, you know what? I will do one more fun thing with my friends before I kill myself. But when I come down back from this camp, I'm going to find this gun and take my own life. And see, that's the devil didn't realize this, but that was the last moment he had to take that young man's life. Because when he came into the presence of God and God set him free from depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts, that stuff was over and done with forever. For he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Now, here's the question. I guarantee you, don't tell me about coincidences in the kingdom of God. I guarantee you that the Holy Spirit prompted his friend in that moment, send him a text, send him an invitation, tell him to come with you to youth camp. And you can sit there and say, well, maybe later, maybe I'll. No, this shows you that the actions you're taking are vital actions. The Holy Spirit leads you. He guides you. Your life is important. I don't believe like some of these do. See, that's why as, as intelligent of a person as I am, and I read all the time, and I'm reading four and five books at a time. I study theology. I study all these things. But as intelligent as I am, and as many debates as I've listened to, and as many systematic theology textbooks as I've read, I could never bring myself to be a Calvinist, a Reformed theologian. I can never sit there and believe that it's God's will for some people to be damned to hell before they ever come out of the womb. I can never believe that God sets up a plan to curse men to hell and say, I don't care. It's part of my glory. It's how I get my glory. By choosing some to be redeemed and by choosing others to burn in eternity forever. I can't believe that kind of a thing because I don't believe that when you read the Bible and says, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. And the Calvinists would tell you, well, that means that whosoever of his elect should believe on him. And then they'll tell you, well, he's willing that none should perish but that all should 
should come to repentance. They say, well, that means he's willing that none of his elect should perish. No, he's not willing that any person should perish. For if you read the writings of the apostles, one apostle wrote, he didn't die only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. That means that Jesus didn't just die for his chosen elect. Jesus died for every last person on the planet from now until eternity past. And I'm telling you, he's truly willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, does that mean that nobody will perish? No, there are people that will perish. But just because they perish, it doesn't mean that that was God's will or plan for their life. God doesn't want them to die like that. God doesn't want them to finish like that. But there's a real enemy of people's souls that wants to drag them into eternal destruction. That's why your life is so important. That's why you're not just flippantly going through life. You don't have life on cruise control. Just waiting for that day when the trumpet sounds. No. There's an urgency in your spirit. That's why Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 9 and verse number 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is yet day. For the night is coming when no one can work. That means the gospel is a limited time offer. For there's a, there's a moment coming when after the trumpet sounds, it'll be too late. I'm not going to live my life on cruise control, walking through like a zombie, like the walking dead. Get up, do my stuff, come back from work, eat some dinner, watch some Netflix, go to bed, wake up, go to work. I'm not doing that. So I'm watching reels for three hours, now get up, do some work, got to go pee pee, come back, eat some more Doritos. I'm not going to live like that. There's a real devil. There's a real Jesus. There's a real eternity. And there's souls of men and women hanging in the balance. What you do with your life is important. I'm not telling you that every person has to quit their job and go to Bible school and become an evangelist. But you're an evangelist wherever you are. You might be a mechanic working in a shop. You're an evangelist. You might be an attorney working in a law office. You're an evangelist. You might be doing hair. You might be doing nails. You might be a computer programmer, but you're an evangelist because you're a member of the kingdom of God. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Somebody say, my life is important. Biggest lie the devil ever told is that you're insignificant. No. You're made in the likeness and in the image of God. You've been filled with the Holy Ghost. Now you've got power over the devil. You know what? You're called to tear down the kingdom of darkness. Did you know that Jesus came to the earth to destroy? Bible says so in 1 John 3, 8. It says the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came in like a wrecking ball way before Miley Cyrus ever existed. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Then what did he say? The works that I do, you'll do also. And what greater works than these? People have always wondered what that meant. How can I do greater works than Jesus? It doesn't mean greater in quality. It means greater in quantity. Jesus only did it for three years. 
There's ministers that have now gone and lived and ministered far longer than Jesus ever did. Jesus was in one specific portion of the world for three years and did all that he could do in that time. But now, I mean, think about men like that are in heaven now, like Dr. Reinhard Bonnke. Dr. Reinhard Bonnke, who in the last moments of his ministry, the last 10 years, saw something like 58 to 80 million souls saved in one nation alone. By actual card count. He told me in his office in Orlando, we don't even count the salvation cards if they're not fully filled out or if we can't read the words to follow up with that person. We don't count it as a number. 50 to, 55 to 80 million in ten, the final 10 years of his ministry. Do we have that video? Do we have it? Put it on. Just, we don't have to play the whole thing, but I want you to see. I sat down in his office. You need to see this. Because this is why, now before you play it, I want you to listen to me. They told him he'd never be a preacher. How many know who Reinhard Bonnke is? Lift your hand if you don't know who he is. You've never heard his name before. I'm glad. I'm glad you haven't. I'm really glad. Because when you see this video, it's going to blow your mind. This is a German man named Reinhard Bonnke who just went to heaven not too many years ago. He was the great, and I'm not saying this in my opinion. I'm saying by metrics, by analytics, the greatest evangelist that ever lived on the face of the earth, bar none. No question about it. By actual souls that came into the kingdom, no one won more souls to Jesus than Dr. Reinhard Bonnke. Yet, and there's others that are doing huge things right now. The best is not behind us. The best is ahead of us. But here's a man. If you ever read his life story, it's like reading a novel. He wrote a book called, uh, it's his own autobiography, Living a Life of Fire. It will blow your mind. He was alive during the world wars. His whole family got put into German internment camps. Whole family. And his dad was in a different camp than his mom and his siblings and him were in. And his dad got out first. Because his dad was part of the German army that would not submit to Hitler and become part of the SS. So they put him in prison. Put him in prison camp. And here he is. He gets out first. And he, he writes a letter to his wife. This is Reinhard Bonnke's father. He says, God's called me to pastor. And we don't have much money left in the bank. But there's a group of people that need pastoring that are about an hour or so walk away from our house. But would you allow me, babe, to take the last uh, money we have and buy a bicycle so that I could be their pastor and ride bike back and forth to go and meet with them and preach to them. She said, take it and do it. While her and the kids are still in prison camp. And then he's got brothers. And when he gets out, he said, the Lord's going to use me. He's a little boy. The Lord's going to use me to preach to black people. That's all he saw in his spirit. The Lord's going to use me to preach to black people. And they said, you'll never, you're not the preacher. Your older brother's the preacher. And he said, no, Jesus showed me. I'm going to preach to black people. All these black people, there'll be so many of them. They said, you don't know what you're, and then people would come over to their house. And they'd say, well, you know how kids are. They get these silly ideas in their head that he keeps saying he's going to preach to all these black people, a sea of black people. And then all of a sudden, one Sunday morning, an old woman in their church, Holy Ghost German Pentecostal church. You talk about strict. <laughs> Holiness German Pentecostal church. This old German woman stands up in the middle of the service who's been known to prophesy accurately. She was a Holy Ghost woman. And she got up and she said, there's a mighty evangelist in this church today. And everybody's listening. And she said, he's here. And he's going to preach around the world. And he's going to preach in Africa. And he's going to preach. And they're all waiting for her to go to the pastor's oldest son. And with her eyes closed, she walks over and she grabs little Reinhard. And she said, here's the evangelist right here. This is the one God's calling. 
Your life is important. What God's called you to do is not a joke. People are on their way to hell. And what you do or don't do leaves them hanging in the balance. Will they be in heaven or will they be in hell? And he knew he had a call from God. He sat there across the table from us with tears in his eyes. And he said, I've watched God do the most amazing things that I could have ever imagined that God would do. This, what you're getting ready to see, was the vision in a little boy's spirit in Germany all those years ago after the world wars. And he said, God's going to use me to preach to black people and they're going to come to Jesus. People told him he wouldn't, but he knew in his spirit that he would. He said, you know, there's a time that came that our ministry didn't have the money to do these crusades anymore. He said, but then God raised up one man who in a period of so many years gave $42 million to our ministry. He, I said, who was that man? He said, Kenneth Copeland blessed our ministry and said, see, people give Brother Copeland a hard time because he preaches on prosperity, but they don't know that he's funded crusades that you'll get ready to see that are bigger than any event that's ever existed in the history of the world, bigger than any political rally, bigger, bigger than any sporting event, bigger than any music festival or conference. What you're getting ready to see is something that has shaken nations to their very core, that have turned presidents of nations around that have turned entire cabinets around. Nations that used to be predominantly Muslim, that when he was done holding a crusade, are predominantly Christian, that have turned entire nations around to Jesus because one boy had a vision and believed, my life is important and God is going to use me. No matter who tells me I can't or that I won't, God can and will use me. When you see this video, you know there's a lot of people in attendance. When you say from the platform, shout hallelujah and you just hear for like you have to wait for seven minutes while everybody that's gone back into the distance hears what you said and is screaming hallelujah so loud that millions of people on a field can't stop screaming because they heard you later than the ones up front so like a wave it goes on to the back as people are shouting and passing wheelchairs over the crowd crowd surfing wheelchairs and crutches and braces because he's still a miracle working God not because anybody laid hands on them, but because God's a miracle worker. If you'll put your faith in him, he'll use you to do great things for his kingdom. What you're getting ready to see in this video. He said what happened was a guy who had a heart to score music, like movie scores. He said he'd seen my altar calls. And he asked if, I, if he could have the footage so that he could score some music over a clip, a bunch of clips of our altar calls. So what you're getting ready to see is what that man made to show everybody what Jesus had done in these nations. I want you to pay attention to the number of the people in attendance and how many came to the altar in each one of these cities. I believe that all the cities you're going to see are only in Nigeria. Your life is important. What God's called you to do is not a small thing. There are people that God's going to send you to. Their life will be completely transformed by the power of his spirit. Let me encourage you tonight. What may have harassed your family for years before you, what came through looking like it was a generational curse, it not only comes to an end with you and your family now, but your children will never know the taste of it. Your grandchildren will never know the taste of it. The power of God is flowing through our families now. And I'm telling you tonight, as I was praying today, I said, Lord, what do you want me to tell them tonight? 
You heard me give that title. The one thing that God doesn't have that he needs is your participation. God doesn't just do anything by himself. He always uses men and women to do it. Even when he wanted to redeem the world, he sent his son in the form of a man to come down. He said, I was looking for a man, but I could find no man in the Old Testament who would stand in the gap Do you know God cannot make people walk in righteousness? Let me read these quickly to you because I feel to pray. And in fact, just Pastor Sarah, if you'd come back to the keyboard only, just her for now. The Bible says in Ezekiel 22, verses 30 and 31, listen to this. I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. But I found no one, so now I will pour out my fury on them, consuming them with the fire of my anger. I will heap on their heads the full penalty for all their sins. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. Though he didn't want to destroy the city, he didn't want to destroy the people. He said, I can't find participation from even one man. I can't find cooperation from even one man that will stand in the gap and rebuild the wall of righteousness so I don't have to pour out my fury. You're not listening to a God that delights in pouring out his fury on people. He said, I spent time searching for even one person that would rebuild the wall of righteousness because I don't want to pour out my fury. I, but I'm a just and a holy God. I can't let sin go unpunished. Though I don't want to pour out my judgment. I'm just looking for one person. And I couldn't find one person. If you look, he can't make people obey his commands. He told his people in Deuteronomy 7, this is what you must do when you go into the promised land. You must break down their pagan altars shatter their sacred pillars, cut down their Asherah poles, burn their idols, for you're a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God's chosen you to be his own special treasure. But they didn't do it. They did not cut down those poles or burn the temples or destroy the altars. And in Judges chapter 2, the Bible says that as he's looking at what they did not do, he says, why did you do this? So now, because you didn't do what I said, I declare that I will no longer drive out the people living in your land. There'll be a constant thorn in your side, and their gods will be a constant temptation to you. He couldn't make his people obey his commands, and they chose not to cooperate. God's looking for cooperation from his people. He's saying, I can do it if you'll work with me. I'll bless your family if you'll work with me. I'll use you to touch your generation if you'll work with me. I'm just looking for cooperation from people on the earth. You know what people you hear say? Oh God, we just pray. Send angels to these nations to let these people hear the gospel message. God doesn't send angels to preach the gospel in any nation. God doesn't, angels don't ever preach the gospel. You'll not find it in any place in scripture where angels are preaching the gospel. In fact, in the one place that probably would have been the most appropriate for angels to preach the gospel 
is when the Gentiles were getting ready to come into the kingdom of God after the day of Pentecost. Until that point, only Jewish people had gotten saved and become Christians. But now, God was going to fulfill his promise to Abraham that all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And God was about to bring Cornelius and his Italian family into the kingdom as the first Gentiles that were ever saved. And what happens? The Bible says God sent an angel. Acts chapter 10. Let me read you verses 1 through 6. In Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout God-fearing man as was everyone in his household. And he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. And one afternoon about 3 o'clock he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. And Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon, a tanner, who lives near the seashore. What was Peter coming to do? If you know the story, God had to spread out a net in front of a sheet in front of Peter, showing him a bunch of unclean animals and say, go ahead and eat. And he said, Lord, I'll never eat what's unclean. And God gives him the revelation. Don't you call unclean what I've already cleansed. It had nothing to do with the animals. He was speaking about the Gentiles because right after that, he gets the instruction to go preach this gospel to people that you would have called unclean. If he had not had that vision, he would have not understood God's plan. It's not just for the Jews. It's for every Gentile. Notice the angel could easily have preached the gospel to Cornelius and his household. He could have said, you're the first Gentiles to come into the kingdom. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me tell you this about the Savior. But the angel in the most appropriate moment, didn't preach the gospel to Cornelius because angels don't preach the gospel. No, we're the ones who've been commanded to preach the gospel message. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Those that believe and are baptized will be saved and those that do not believe will be damned. I'm telling you, as I was praying for you today, the Lord said, let them know tonight their lives are important. I've called them for a mighty work. Don't ever look at yourself as insignificant. Don't ever look at yourself as though you don't carry power or that you don't have authority or you're not qualified to do what God's called you to do. God has raised you up as a part of the body of Christ for such a time as this. Just like you saw in those videos, there are many that are waiting to hear the gospel message. And I said, Lord, what's tonight about? He said, tonight, I'm putting a fresh anointing upon my people. And I'm not just going to drive out every wicked thing that was sent to attack their life. But I'm putting a fresh anointing upon them tonight. A fresh filling upon them tonight to drive the enemy's works off of every family, off of every life, off of their loved ones, off of their friends, off of their family members. And we declare America will be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. If you believe it, clap your hands and give Jesus a shout of praise. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. 
I told you, I said, God, what's tonight? He said, I'm going to pour out my spirit in a fresh measure. I mean this, I felt such a heavy thing hit me this afternoon as I was praying in the Holy Ghost. And God said, I'm going to come upon them in a new strength, in a new might. Glory to God. See, even if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, know this. You can not only be filled with the Spirit, but the Bible teaches you can be refilled with the Holy Spirit. For those that were there on the day of Pentecost, they got filled with the Holy Ghost. But two chapters later, after they'd been persecuted for preaching the gospel of Christ and working miracles, signs, and wonders, after they'd been beaten on their backs with rods, they gathered back together in a house and they began to pray. And as they prayed, the Bible says the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. The same people that were in the upper room that had been filled with the Holy Ghost were the same ones in that house getting filled again. Why? You can not only be filled, you can be refilled with the Holy Spirit. When I told you that thing that happened to me last night in Bible school, where I fell under that pew and began to pray in the Holy Ghost, that wasn't the first time that I'd ever been filled with the Holy Ghost. I was filled at five years old and began to speak with other tongues. I came downstairs in my grandparents' house in Providence, Rhode Island. And my father was at the breakfast table. I said, Dad, I got filled with the Holy Ghost last night. He said, how do you know? I said, because I spoke in tongues. Hallelujah. He said, that's a good answer. Yeah. Five years old, I got filled with the Holy Ghost. My little daughter, Madeline, she's not little anymore. She's 13. But when she was little, wave your hand, Maddie. She's 13 years old. But when she was five, she was in a children's church service at my uncle's Assembly of God Church in West Virginia. And they were in kids' class. And during the praise and worship, her cousin came across and laid hands on her. She was a little girl. And my daughter fell out under the power of the Holy Spirit and started praying in tongues in that children's church. I'm telling you, I started to feel a little bad. I said, I wanted to be the one that laid hands on you, got you filled with the Holy Ghost. But see, God can use children. I said, God can use children. Your children will be used by God. I said, your children will be used by God. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe what it looks like right now. Your children will be used by God. I said, your children will be used by God. I've had parents come to me and say, my kids pray. My kids are on drugs. My kids are far from God right now. I've been lifting people up. Some addicted to drugs. Others going through issues in relationships, marriages, people getting uh, verbally abused, mentally abused. All my kids, I haven't talked to them in seven years. I'm telling you, don't you give up because God's not done blessing your family. I said, God's not done blessing your family. Your kids will be mighty in the land. Your grandkids will be mighty in the land. Hey, this is Pastor Joe. And before you go, I want to pray with you to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is your opportunity to be 100% sure that heaven will be your eternal home. It's very simple. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you mean business with God, he means business with you. I want you to pray this very simple but powerful prayer and mean it with all your heart. Repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. 
I believe that you were crucified and God raised you from the dead. I believe that you are the Son of God. I repent of all my sin and I ask for your forgiveness. I give you my life. Do something with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the family of God. The Bible says all the angels in heaven are rejoicing because you just prayed that prayer. The next step is to find a good, strong local church. If you live anywhere near Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to join us at Life in Christ every Sunday at 10 a.m. We have some of the best people on planet Earth. We love you, God bless you, and have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Life in Christ Church podcast. Help us to continue to share the message of faith with those all over the world. Visit licchurch.com forward slash give to partner with us today.